internet friends, and welcome back to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as always, we are here to brighten your day. We're here to anger your souls, and we're here to tell you how to live your lives in that order. And Andy, did you have something? Well, I just wanted to say welcome everybody to 2021. Welcome, Alex, to 2021. This is our, our first episode of the new year. We made it. We survived 2020. And I know it sounds like I'm about to say, like, everything is magical and good and, and we're done. But that actually kind of this will this will be a little micro hate. And I've seen <laughs> I've seen several people talk about it. There's there's no clear reason to think that 2021 is going to be any better than 2020. You know, uh, so I have I actually have a theory about why this is because people were saying that the years were starting to be shitty since like I feel like at least early 2016. Yeah, that's what I would say too. Yeah, like everyone talks about how shitty 2016 was for the obvious late 2016 reason, but like people t- go like 2016 was horrible. And I feel like every single year people have been saying, oh, my God, 2017 is awful. Oh, my God, 2018 is such bullshit. Oh, my God, 2019 is a god-awful year. And 2020 has been the same shit. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that the reason why is is truly because we are all, like, spending so much time on Facebook. Hmm. Because there's something about Facebook throwing back shit from earlier years and also just the miasma swirl of shitty news after shit like somebody dies somebody you like dies and you see that story you see that headline 900 times sure like and then at the same time you're getting a reminder of the fact that five years ago you were grabbing brunch with friends which is a really depressing thing to think about in 2020 right yeah that one especially now Uh, I saw a a music video I hadn't seen before and it was a live performance and none of the band members were wearing masks and it legit took me a second to be like, well, wait, that's weird. Wait, no, no, that's not weird. That's an interesting take. And I think especially this year, you're probably right. Social media as a whole is just really becoming a toxic waste dump of ideas and and bad vibes. Yeah. Um, Well, and you know, it's not even like, Take YouTube videos. You sent okay. You sent me those Miley Cyrus um, covers mm-hmm. recently. Like I feel like everyone saw Miley Cyrus covering Zombie. Um, I didn't love it. It was this is at the iHeart Music Awards or something. So it, um, yeah, yeah, it was some yeah. like performance concert to bring back actual venues. Yeah, yeah. So Miley Cyrus did a couple of covers. She did the Cranberry Zombie, which you liked. I didn't really like. You sent me Heart of Glass, and I actually liked that a lot better. Her doing Blondie's Heart of Glass. And. It's weird because I'm watching Miley Cyrus sing, and Miley Cyrus is not wearing a mask as she's singing, but her entire backup band, drummer, two guitar players, bassist, couple of keyboardists, all of them were wearing masks. Right. And I was just like, oh my... And as I'm watching this, I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, I've watched like... I think the last time that I watched um, an older Miley Cyrus video... Uh, was probably like a five or six year old video. I remember when the Robin Thicke thing happened. I'm like, 
we can look at videos from two distinct pieces of Miley's of one artist's career and go, all right, that's the pre-COVID one, that's the post-COVID one, literally just because the backing band is wearing masks. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's interesting to have such a, a dividing point, such such a visual reference um, in all of our lives, really. Yeah, I mean, it's not quite... Oh, sorry, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, presumably, you know, um, we're, we're looking at there maybe being a COVID cure. We'll see. We'll see how long it takes to get around. But no matter what, like... I don't think masks are going to go away from select parts of the country. I think it, we're going to become a little bit more like uh, a lot of Asian cultures were already wearing masks, especially if they were traveling into the U.S. That isn't going to go away. And and there's always going to be this, this cornerstone moment, this epoch of, yeah, 2020 was when there was a worldwide virus and... It is a measuring stick in all of our personal timelines at this point. You don't think masks are going away? So I think masks will go away for the people who aren't wearing them now. Hmm. I feel like maybe maybe the way to say it is I feel like masks are going to become more prevalent hmm. and at least a little bit more widely seen in our day-to-day lives, even when we get to the point where not everyone has to wear them all the time. Here's the thing. I want to believe that. I really, really do. Um, and, and full disclosure, like, I'm someone who, in years past, I'd be at the airport, and I would see people walking around wearing masks, and I'd be like, that's fucking weird. Or, or like, that's, or that's paranoid. That's overly paranoid. Um, I'd never say anything like that to anybody, but I'd see it and that'd just be like my personal opinion of it. And obviously that opinion has softened in recent years. Sure. I will never believe that at least in the U.S. And maybe maybe this is the cynicism that I'm always fighting. I will never believe, at least in the U.S., that if there is not an imminent threat, that people will let themselves be uncomfortable. But I, see, I think that's the thing. I think this is going to scare at least a portion of the population into thinking that that next imminent threat is always going to be around the corner. I think it's going to be a case of like, no, I'm going to wear my mask on an airplane or no, I'm going to wear my mask when I go into the gas station because nobody like we we, we all saw COVID coming because, you know, it, it happened in China first but everybody just sort of blithely went, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out before it gets to the U.S. Oh, well, we're fine. We're, we're, we're going to be okay. Like it was SARS. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it wasn't. And I think it's going to have at least a couple people spooked to be like, okay, for all we know, the next one is going to be super Ebola. So I'm going to wear a mask and make sure that I'm at least a little bit more protected. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think that's particularly optimistic, so I can't sit here and say maybe that's the optimist in me. Um, I just, I feel like that's the, that's my safety paranoia coming out. You know, it's, I wouldn't write it off, especially because there is definitely, I'll be really interested to see what happens with young people. Yeah. I really do. Because adults are stupid. Um, But kids, you know, I've... I've seen the kind of media that, like, 
my niece and my nephews are being exposed to now where it's like fucking Paw Patrol is teaching them how to properly wash their hands. Sure. And, you know, nobody washes their hands right here. Like, nobody actually does it the way that you're supposed to. Like, if you've actually talked to doctors or nurses or people who need to wash their hands for, like, proper reasons, no one follows the proper protocol because there's a certain way you're supposed to scrub. There's a certain way you're supposed to get in there. You're supposed to dry your hands a particular way. But, like, why the fuck do we have those horrible air dryers in this country like how many bathrooms have those damn air dryers that get your hands grosser than they were before you even walked in there yeah like it's it's we don't have good sanitation habits here and you know generally speaking human beings are decently resilient to your average every day i have a cold i have you know, a uh, stomach bug. I have, you know, the basic stuff. Most people are fairly resilient to that. I'm just going to be really interested to see how much of that sticks with the kids who grew up watching fucking Paw Patrol telling them how to wash their hands because, like, you know, I spend a lot of time talking about how Captain Planet taught me how to recycle. <laughs> and do you recycle? Yeah. All right, well, then there you go. Okay. Like, as long as, like, I got mad when my apartment complex got rid of recycling. And honestly, the reason I got rid of recycling was because people kept throwing their garbage in the recycling. And I'm like, you see? You see what happens? North Carolina public schools? Right, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I'll be interested to see what happens in future generations for sure. You've got a lot of kids who are growing up with it. You've got a lot of kids who are being taught a thing. And you're going to have a lot of kids who, you know, lost an aunt and uncle or a mom or a dad or or more likely a grandparent to this thing and, and see how that sticks around. Um, and, and short term, at least, like I think for at, at least two or three years after we have a cure, there there's going to be... Um, mostly the same procedures in place that i can definitely see especially in like cities sure so welcome to love hate relationship um (laughs) if you've bared with us uh, as we like to make our listeners do um i can tell you at least part of our episode is going to be a lot more uh happy than than what we uh just had as our little douchebag buffer exactly one third (laughs) exactly one third exactly um but so yeah welcome in case you're a first time listener uh every episode one of us takes a topic we love and discusses it the other one takes something that they hate and again discusses it and then we take your or the internet's uh relationship questions and offer our perfectly unqualified advice Mm -hmm. and today i've got the love so like i said at least a segment of this is going to be a little happier (laughs) I would like to talk to you today, Alex, about the tw- the 2017 ongoing DuckTales reboot. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. Race cars, lasers, airplanes. It's a Duckburg. Because, okay. So this is an interesting one for me to hear you talk about. For those of you who've been listening for a while, you did an entire segment on hating Disney rebooted movies. I did. And here we have found not all, like, yes, it's a TV show, but it is still a rebooted Disney property. And you're telling me you love it? I absolutely love it. And yes, to, to give a disclaimer, you know, I, I think I've made my stance and, and love-hate relationship stance pretty clear that reboots are, by and large, a, a bad idea. 
Um, you know, people taking a movie and making it a TV show or a TV show and making it a movie. It almost never leads to the later product being better to the first one. And it's just, you know, as a concept, reboots are a shallow, usually uncreative cash grab, especially Disney properties remaking their own movies. Mm -hmm. Um, You're right. We spent an entire episode with me talking about how I just completely hate them. And, And my stance on that has not changed. Over the course of this segment, I am going to talk about why the DuckTales cartoon remake is entirely the exception to that rule and is, in fact, utterly brilliant. Okay, let's get started. Yeah, so developed by a pair of guys named Matt Youngberg and Francisco Angones, the modern DuckTales, it's pretty simple. It takes the core concept of the original 1987 cartoon, that of Donald Duck's Uncle Scrooge, and his nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie traveling the world on adventures and seeking riches, and it modernizes the concept. And yet, it, like as a show, it does a lot more than that. It, it's, it's so good. Primarily, the biggest reason is the writing, honestly. The writing of this reboot is some of the best writing I've seen for a cartoon, especially a kid's cartoon. Um, it's equally enjoyable and accessible for the target audience, which is still kids watching Disney XD or in this case, Disney plus nowadays. Sure. Um, and adults who are familiar with the original show, which leads to a quick pivot. I want to make, did you watch the DuckTales cartoon at all? I really didn't like, I knew, I think I've talked about this before. I was a Cartoon Network and uh, Nickelodeon kid, Mm -hmm. largely. Like, I loved the old... I remember back when Cartoon Network was all about Acme Hour and showing the old classic Warner Brothers cartoons. Sure. Um, Later, they got the Cartoon Cartoon shows, and you got, like, your Ed, Ed, and Eddie's, and your Johnny Bravo's, and Powerpuff Girls, and Dexter's Lab. I was into all that stuff. And I was really into the Nickelodeon wave, kind of... Post your, say, All Real Monsters, um, and, and kind of post early Doug into the, you know, I liked Cat Dog, I liked Hey Arnold, I liked Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. Like, that was very much my realm. I knew kids who loved, like, DuckTales and Rescuers and, sure. and all of those shows. It wasn't really my bag, to be honest. I always thought Disney was a little too kiddish for me. Okay, and and that's absolutely fair, and that kind of leads into this great point for my own personal experience. I definitely had sort of an equal share of your Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, and Disney, Mm -hmm. especially when I was younger, like we're talking like, you know, five, six, seven. Disney was put on for me a lot more, especially by my mom, because she figured it was a more family friendly um, thing. And the thing about the original DuckTales for me is. I watched a lot of it. Okay. And I can't tell you very much about anything I saw. Sure. I remember that it was it was a little uh, like an, it was a shade edgier than your Winnie the Pooh and your Gummy Bears. It was there with like Goof Troop. Like, yeah. They'd occasionally make mention to like the fact that the kids were technically orphans. Right. For example, just like Goof Troop would have like the one episode where Goofy would mention to Max, like, after your mom died, I didn't know what I was going to do with my, like, 
that kind of passingness, but it wasn't on the level of like, hey, Arnold, which will rip your fucking like heart out. <laughs> sure, absolutely. But yeah, like in the original DuckTales, there were still stakes. There was still perils. There was still danger. You know, the worst thing that ever happened in Winnie the Pooh is Piglet would be lost and you'd be scared about that for an episode. But it was kind of just bland it wasn't quite as good as darkwing duck or mm. rescue rangers or even tailspin um it was just it was kind of there but i watched a shit ton of it the modern reboot the scripts are so smart the scripts are so smart the writing is so good and it it is so much less bland than what i just described the original being of like yeah it was good there was there were stakes it, it wasn't the worst uh cartoon like the characters are fully fleshed out. They're all sympathetic. They're all interesting, which I think is really kind of like you have to have that with a modern cartoon. Yeah. Even a modern kids cartoon. Um, there's a giant cast of characters and they kind of cleverly find ways to make it be like, okay, uh, Dewey isn't in this one for a very plausible reason. Or we've got these three villains and so we're going to balance them out and we're not going to have Launchpad in this one. And it all, it, it takes this giant cast of characters, which helps the show feel like a very big and important universe, mm -hmm. but it still manages to be easy to follow and understand and not get too overwhelming too quickly. Okay. Um... In the original, you know, the, the triplets, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, plus Webby, who was always the girl one, and I straight up forgot, wasn't a sister, because she's not. <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> they were basically, you know, just palette swaps of the same character model, mm -hmm. so plus the girl one. There, yeah. was, there was very little distinction between the three boys. Um, and in the... Doo -doo 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 -doo, and... In the new one, in, in the modern show, each brother manages to have their own unique personalities and character motivations and arcs and things that really make them distinct from each other beyond just what color clothing they're wearing. Mm -hmm. And Webby, who is voiced by Kate Micucci, is actually kind of the best character in the whole show because she's this just absolutely insane, like... Her, her aunt is a super spy and taught her all this death-defying stuff, but she's also this lonely kid who never had any friends until the other uh, brothers came along. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a really good time. Um, they de-aged Uncle Scrooge just enough to make him a lot more interesting and exciting. Instead of just being an old super rich guy, mm -hmm. he's at the level where he is an old super rich indiana jones level badass adventurer who can you know still fight and jump around a temple as as it's exploding and um just have a little bit more of a sharp wit have a little more fun with everything it's it's a lot more fun interesting because like okay what i what i do remember of the old ducktales like they're kind of that, that kind of was the spiel it was supposed to be the kids are with Scrooge McDuck as he does like weird Indiana Jonesy style adventures. And they always were, but it was still like it was still old man Uncle Scrooge like with a cane. And mm -hmm. in if he's doing anything more complex than running, or maybe like a fencing style sword fight, if you're really gonna push the envelope, like it wasn't plausible. Mm -hmm. And in the first episode of the DuckTales reboot, like Uncle Scrooge um 
walks in and there are these three different monsters all attacking the kids. And then like one fell swoop, he like dives across the room, dives under somebody's sword, uh, ha- tricks somebody into cutting the head off a statue and then magically breaking a curse of some kind. He, he's just a lot more kinetic. Mm. And, and, you know, I said the show's a lot more fun and I want to touch on that a little bit. It, it is a lot more fun and engaging and fast paced, even though it's still the basic premise of like, yeah, they're adventuring. It's the MacGuffin of the week. It's whatever. It all manages to present itself in a lot more of a interesting way that holds your attention mm. and manages to balance being fun and cartoony and kid like and still fun and interesting and cool. Okay. So what I kind of take from this, um, one of the big things that I had against the old DuckTales TV show from back in the day was, um, you know, we we came up in a period of time when it, the, the shit from the 80s felt passe. Sure. Like, you would watch care bears or you you might watch transformers you know you might see something like it was it was weird that if you watched reruns of the smurfs they would occasionally make references to like previous episodes Mm -hmm. like very very occasionally by and large you could pick up any episode of it and follow along with what was happening um and when we watched those cartoons in syndication that was a big thing I feel like a lot of those cartoons that I named a moment ago that I watched instead of the Disney ones, you could watch any episode of Hey Arnold at roughly any time, any episode of Rugrats, and by and large, you could pick it up, but there would be more references to previous things that had happened. You would get more of those interactions. People would refer back to stuff a little bit more. Less so with the cartoon cartoon shows, but even then, those would deal with higher level of humor Mm -hmm. it felt smarter it felt more mature those disney cartoons a they stayed far the hell away from anything like that for a very long time especially that generation especially that ducktales tailspin goof troop kind of like those you really could literally watch the first episode or like the an episode from the last season and there would it would feel like there was almost no difference. Um, I always thought kids were smarter than that. When I was a kid, I thought that, and even now, I think that. Like by and large, when you are past the the Paw Patrol stage, if we're going to use current nomenclature, mm-hmm. um, you're able to follow a plot line. You're able to care about a character. You're able to identify based on a character trait. I still don't remember which one's Huey, which one's Dewey, and which one's Louie. <laughs> I don't. I, 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 it's not in my head. And I know those were characters that originated in, like, the 60s or 50s. Yep. Um, and they very much put them into this show. But what you're basic, what it basically sounds like you're telling me is, like, we have the influence of that generation of Nickelodeon, that generation of Fox cartoons. Because, you know, that was another big one, was watching things like fucking x-men and batman and the anime shows that they would show and that kind of showing that kids really could follow that give a shit about it maybe they wouldn't get all the like adult jokes yeah um but they they can still 
follow a character beyond is it a fucking toy yes and and you bring up a really good point and that is another one of the things that ducktales uh specifically does really great but i also think like tv writers have just gotten better because mm-hmm. you're very much right it, you know when we were a lot younger um writers were doing yeah it's a cartoon whatever here are the characters here's the trope salad just give me a new one every week that's all i need i don't need an overarching storyline i don't need anything more for them than for this to sell a plushie or a transformer the transformer sold separately from hasbro nowadays like just very few shows can get away with that pure random staccato like presentation the only one i can think is like uh there's a cartoon network show called the adventures of gumball which Mm -hmm. is a very very weird show but very much like okay yeah whatever can happen even stuff like adventure time has an overarching storyline and ducktales does as well that's Mm -hmm. a a massive change from the original not only is donald duck a semi-prominent character so you have that sort of connection but they delve into this whole season line thing about trying to figure out what happened to the triplets mom Mm. who I don't even think was ever referenced in the original cartoon aside from the mention that yes she's clearly not in the picture the nephews are orphans Uh, in the modern one there's an overarching there's several overarching storylines and there are character motivations Dewey is very clearly from the first episode kind of set up to be like as much of a main character as you're going to get like him and Scrooge and Webby to an extent. And they do this whole thing where it's like very clearly that of the three brothers, Dewey is the most like Scrooge in the adventuring sense. Now who voice, who voices Dewey? Dewey is voiced by Ben Schwartz. Okay. So Ben Schwartz of parks and rec fame of middle ditch and Schwartz fame. Uh, I voiced Sonic the Hedgehog in the most in the most recent adaptation. In, in the upcoming Best Picture Oscar winning Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, and and so you know they they managed to like. It's just a it's just a shade. It's just like you know Ben Schwartz and Dewey get like ten percent more of the focus and screen time than the other brothers, but it's enough to like differentiate. Okay, this is important. This is different. This is something for me to become invested in and watch as this kid tries to figure out why his mom hasn't been in his life mm. and what is the connection with his crazy old adventuring uncle. So you mentioned Ben Schwartz and and that leads into, you know, basically the other key point about why this show in particular is just amazing to me. DuckTales has one of the most all-star voice casts I've mm-hmm. ever seen for a for this kind of thing. You know, this this 30 episode a season cartoon half hour show that isn't a big tentpole project. It isn't some, you know, big animated movie. This has an insanely good voice cast um, to run it out. So Huey, Dewey, and Louie are mm-hmm. Danny Pudi from Community, mm-hmm. Ben Schwartz, as we mentioned, and Bobby Moynihan, which is incredibly random to me, but also I kind of love it because I kind of love Bobby Moynihan. He's not on SNL anymore, is he? He is not on SNL anymore. Okay. I don't think he's doing much of anything other than DuckTales. Um, 
A lot of people, I think, saw this when it came out and there was a lot of hype, but David Tennant is Scrooge McDuck. Mm-hmm. And that's a get. Like, I'm I'm so happy for him and all the work he's managing to get between this and all of the Neil Gaiman projects and Good Omens. And he just... It, it's kind of funny because he's like kind of the perfect Scottish actor. He is Scottish. He's like, literally Scottish. There's one episode of Doctor Who where they go to Scotland and he's just like, oh, I think I'll just use this accent then. And right. it's just him speaking in his it's actual his re- accent. It's his regular speaking voice. He's kind of the perfect, like, maybe not quite as famous as an Ian McGregor and not that hard of a get, but also like a pretty much fully established household name, especially in a nerdy household. He is an established presence. Real quick. Um, did you ever watch the, um, Oh God, what was the year on it? The Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. I can't say that I did. Okay. I know I mentioned this uh, when we did the Rob Paulson episode of mm-hmm. uh, where where I talked about like that was like two years ago. Um, but there was a reboot in I think 2012. I'm looking it up now because I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV show. Oh, 2014, I think. No, 2012. I was right. Um, so the cast for that one, I remember flipping my shit at that because they got Rob Paulson to come back for it, but he wasn't playing Raphael the way he was before. He was playing Donatello. But the other people in it, Greg Sipes is Mikey, but they got fucking Sean Astin mm-hmm. to play Raphael. Right. And then uh, I think they, I think they, oh, I think they got Jason Biggs to play Leo. That sounds oddly right to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, wow, like a couple of these are actual like Hollywood. I'm not going to call them like A-listers. Like Sean Astin, I definitely think has a certain cachet to him, but it was just very strange for me anyway. Sure. And, and you know, this is kind of the same thing. I, I wouldn't say Danny Pudi's an A-lister. David Tennant is probably the closest. And, and even then he's... Uh, He's a B plus lister, and that's no shame to David Tennant. Sure. Ben Ben Schwartz is certainly uh, he's got a rising star in Hollywood, um, but this is like these are all names like Beck Bennett from SNL is Launchpad. Kate Micucci from um, Garfunkel and Oates. Garfunkel and Oates is Webby, and uh, especially once you get into the villains, it it becomes just a, a smorgasbord of hey, I know who that is. Um, Kimiko Glenn from Orange is the New Black, and she's done a bunch of other voice acting projects. Uh, Josh Brenner, who I want to say is from uh, Silicon Valley. Um, I remember him from the Belko Experiment. He's a bad guy. Um, Catherine Tate is in this, apparently. Ca- Catherine Tate. I'm pretty sure Catherine Tate is Magical Espel. Yes, who she is. Who is a legit, you know, it's a legit character from the original show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a uh, friend of the show, Bojack Horseman alum, character actress Margot Martindale, <laughs> is uh, Ma Beagle, who was maybe like one of the most prominent villains in the original show. Sure, they got Jamila Jamil. Um, got Jim Cummings is coming back as Darkwing Duck. Yeah, and that's, that's great. Yeah, that's less of a like huge one. but you know, Gotta have Tony Anselmo as Donald Duck, of course. Um, I I don't know what else she's done, but it it bears comment. There's a, an actress named Tox Alangadoy, 
and she is a uh, Norwegian Nigerian actress and she plays Mrs. Beakley who in the original was a maid but in the reboot is that super spy like mm-hmm. she she's Uncle Scrooge's housekeeper but really she's like his CIA handler sure um and there's a lot of fun Jason Manzukis is Steelbeak Jason Manzukis not even talking about Lynn Manuel Miranda as Gizmo Duck like anybody who remembered sure. the original show remembers Gizmo Duck sure. and in the original, he was Launchpad, just like wearing a suit of armor. Um, and they they totally redid the character and got Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it's actually such a, a, a great, like, the, the reasoning behind it is so good because the reason he took the project is he wanted there to be more Latino superheroes. Sure. So even, even as a duck, he's like, I want to put this representation in. This is disastrous. No, calamitous. No, cataclysmic. Note to self, don't overload the processor. Sure. And I'm, I'm looking at it, and I think they added the last name Cabrera to the guy. They the did. Fenton Crackshell Cabrera. Yep, exactly. So, it, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of, oh, holy shit, I know that. Speak of the devil, Rob Paulson is in the show. Um, I don't think I've seen any of the episodes with him, but he he plays at least a couple of characters. Yeah. He was Steelbeak in the original show. Right, right. So, you know, it, it's so much fun, especially for, you know, we're voice acting nerds. We love this sort of thing. It's so great to hear somebody and go, holy shit, is that? It is. Oh, my God. They got him for that. Sure. Um, and, and and I just absolutely love that. It's There's so much. Like, I think Disney, honestly, as much shit as I give them and is overwhelmingly evil a corporation, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I think they knocked the show out of the park just in the sense of this is... This is fun. This is entertaining. This is something that uh, a little kid can watch or a late 20s former Disney fan podcast nerd can watch or the parents of the little kid can watch and still find something enjoyable. You know, the animation, of course, is a different animation style from that classic Disney look. They cartoonified it a little more. Sure. But so more up to date. It's a little more up to date and it, it honestly, it works. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look at like, for instance, uh, the Scooby-Doo reboots that have been happening and they keep making the Scooby gang look more and more cartoonish or in the case of the last movie, making it CGI. And a lot of people resist that and, and say it doesn't look as good. I don't think anybody can argue that the animation style for the modern DuckTales isn't wholly superior. Mm-hmm. Um it's just, it's, it's so, it, it makes me so happy. I truly love this. I, I got, um, I think it was your Disney plus as a matter of fact. <laughs> it's not, it's not mine. It's a friend of the show. Chris, well, there Chris we, and Katie's. Okay. Well, there we go. Chris and Katie. Thank you. I love you. Um, I gained access to your Disney plus and, and I, I thought to myself, Oh, I'm totally going to watch Gargoyles on this thing. Oh, oh, I'm going to watch uh, the Avengers cartoon on this. Oh, I can finally watch The Mandalorian. I've watched like five episodes of Gargoyles and a couple of Disney Channel original movies. And everything else has been me binging the first season of DuckTales. Because the show just like makes me happy. I love that. Um, The last thing um, I wanted to talk about, the show features... A bunch of like sort of cameo things normally it's just like a character or it's a plot line that all came from the carl barks don rosa 
uh, Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comics. Mm. And and these things are such an interesting property because they're they're not really distributed in the US or at least they haven't been since like the 70s. Yeah. They are insanely popular and and continue all, to be internationally all internationally. Yeah. yeah. So for a US consumer of this, it becomes this thing where like if if you're in the know, it becomes such a overwhelmingly exciting thing for there to be an episode where it delves into uncle scrooge's past and he goes to dismal downs and he meets goldie O'Gilt. how much do you know about those comics i read those comics a little bit as a kid mm-hmm. and this is going to be a rabbit hole there is a um a swedish heavy metal or swedish or finnish i don't want to get it wrong there there is a heavy metal concept album about scrooge mcduck that i have <laughs> interesting um so the 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 thing i I haven't read very much of them i've read a lot of articles about them but the kind of unofficial history of those comics was um disney basically didn't really monitor shit about those writers they were like are the books selling are they coming in on time cool all right we don't really care sure and those writers subsequently used the, the donald and scrooge duck comic books to do these explorations into conceits of quantum physics, time travel, war, um, propaganda, the like evolutionary biology. Basically, these were a couple of giant like nerds in the old school sense, in the mm-hmm. sense of like they would subscribe to like Scientific American and uh popular mechanics and whatever other nerd magazines were going on and there was like an interesting through line where you would see a year and a half after an article came out in scientific american about how time travel will alter the human body there's a storyline about how donald and scrooge find a find a wormhole time travel and they can't breathe properly because the oxygen isn't correct like oh Oh damn! Okay, like, and they did this for years, and the comics sold. Yeah, so nobody cared. That's amazing, and I had no idea about that. Yeah, there's there's weird like scientific Easter eggs in all of these just decades of Scrooge and Donald comics. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to find those now because um, I was just sitting here being like, hey, I know that character. Hey, I know the thing. It, it was the family guy thing of like, yeah. I get that reference. Yeah, basically. But that is that is so amazing, and I love that so much. And Donald Duck comics are apparently some of the most scientifically accurate cartoon comics out there. Hell yeah. he Good, good for Donald. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, it's been a while since we've talked about a cartoon, but that's, that's DuckTales in a nutshell. Really, I, I can't recommend it highly enough for anybody who enjoys animation. I don't think there's an age range on this cartoon, which blows my mind. You know, mo- most of the time, especially um, for people in our age range, it's like, okay, no, here's this, here, here's Rick and Morty, or here's Archer, or here's Big Mouth. Here are all these adult cartoons, so you know you're going to enjoy them. This is straight up still just a kid show yeah but they they made it with 
adults in mind. It's hugely entertaining and I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. Have you heard of Four Quadrant Properties, Andy? No. So um, Four Quadrant Properties, uh, I'm looking it up right now, but... Um, oh, God. Four Quadrant Movies? Mm, yeah. So the, fo the Four Quadrants are supposed to be male and female... And under 25, over 25. Okay. So, like, I'm, I'm shooting you a message now if you see that. Um, Got it. Okay. Yeah. And the idea is you can have a movie that can appeal to, like, males over and under 25 or males and females under 25, this whole deal. Like, um, it's really, really hard to get three quadrants. And it's even harder to get all four quadrants. There are very, very few movies or TV shows that are four quadrant movies or four quadrant TV shows. Um, and it sounds like what they're going for with this is a four quadrant TV show. They succeed. But I, I never heard of this term, but based off that definition, like, like yeah, because the, the hardest thing is... You know, getting the the young, get, getting the female demographic really, and I don't think that the original Ducktales could really do much about that other than go, hey, 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 we've got a girl. Yeah, the Ducktales reboot. Webby is like the third most important character. She's the third most focused on. They really do a good job of having proper uh, Bechdel breaking female representation in this children's cartoon so that you know reasonably um it, it's just as accessible and interesting for younger girls as it is for younger boys all right i'm here for it so uh let's find out uh if four quadrant hates are a thing <laughs> and if what you're bringing qualifies I don't, I don't, you know what? I like to think all of my hates are very inclusive. <laughs> Fair. Like, yeah, I'm going to run with that. <laughs> okay. Um, coming in to introduce this, Andy, um, and I think I forgot to actually type my question out to you, but um, I remember it. Give it to me live. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's, it's nothing. It's literally, Andy, do me a favor and explain with as many examples as you can off the top of your head. Don't look at the notes. Don't look at anything I sent you. What to you, what, like what your understanding of the 27 Club is and name as many members of it as you possibly can. Okay. So the 27 Club is this sort of phenomenon in music history and it details a a list of people the members of the 27 club are all these famous and prolific rock stars mostly but you know musical artists who left a giant thumbprint on the culture and then also died at the age of 27 mm -hmm. and so the ones that i know off the top of my head are janis joplin Jimi hendrix Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. Okay. And those, I think, are largely, like, the the big five okay. of that. Um, there's kind of 
your your explanation is perfect. Um, yeah, it's uh, other additional people who normally get thrown in. Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones gets put in that list, especially since he died really close to uh, Hendrix, Joplin, and Morrison. Like mm. they all, the, those four all died within a four within a two year period of one another. Okay, um, at the age of twenty seven. Um, some people will go back uh, and talk about Robert Johnson, um, the very famous blues musician who died very mysteriously at the age of 27. And of course, Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse were more recent additions. Um, I meant, I, I, I'll talk about this, but whenever someone quote unquote joins the 27 Club, the discussion like spikes up about it. And one that I, one that I mentioned to you as we were talking about this, um, you know, the 27 Club is not necessarily, it's, it's a lot of musicians. It started with musicians, really, the con- the conceit did, but it's not exclusively musicians. There have been artists and actors who've been added to it as well, as well as very recently, someone I know you were a fan of, Anton Yelchin, who mm. died in 2016 at the age of 27. And he got, when he died, there were a bunch of, there was a big spike in discussion of the newest member of the 27 Club. Huh. I mean, it, to your point, yeah, I, I was a huge fan of Anton Yelchin and his passing was a tragedy, but for reasons that I know we're going to get into because this is your hate, that sits weird with me. It sits weird with me, and we're going to talk about it. Um, so as far as the basic background of this is concerned, you you s- summed it up very nicely. The 27 Club is a list. It's a like pop culture list where people are basically like these are influential and important artists who died tragic at the tragically young age of 27 years old. And it, it might seem arbitrary that it's a hate to me. Like I mentioned this um, to a few people as a concept and a lot of it was like, why? Why do you care? Why, mm. why does that matter? Um, and, and I'm going to be hearkening back a lot to our tortured artist talk um, in the discussion of this. But for a basic primer, largely conceived following a two-year span of time from 1969 to 1971, in which those first three that you mentioned, plus Brian Jones, so Brian Jones, of the, who was the lead, original lead guitarist of the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison all died of substance abuse-related causes. Mm-hmm all at the age of 27, within this two-year span. Um, When that happened, like at the conclusion of that, this conceit, uh, there's like something something dark and mysterious and ominous about the age of 27 um, kind of sprung up in a lot of the, among a lot of just pop culture discussions, among a lot of writers, and the concept of the 27 Club started up. Um, again, that's also the point where people started reaching back to Robert Johnson because people were like, the, he, Robert Johnson is an interesting figure in this because he died in 1938. Mm. And people largely didn't know who he was until the British invasion. And, you know, the Rolling Stones are talking in interviews about how much they love Robert Johnson. Keep in mind, black people knew who Robert Johnson was. Blues fans knew who Robert Johnson was. And the reason the Rolling Stones were talking about him so much was the same reason they were talking about Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf, because they loved blues. 
So you had prominent white musicians for the first time saying in interviews how much they loved this dude who died in 1938, who, you know, did the Crossroad Blues song, and I think I'll push my broom, and died no one knows how all that time ago when he was 27, and it created that big air of mystery. Um, that's around the same time that that whole, like, Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads, and that's how he learned to play the guitar so well, kind of stories would... And the devil would walk inside by side. So that's interesting to me because... And and I hope I'm not co-opting any of your points here. the 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 reason the Twenty Seven Club exists is because there's a mystique to it. There's there's a storyline that you can you can say. You know, it's the storyline is really let's lump all these famous, hugely influential musicians together. And isn't it weird they all died on this date? Let's expound on that. But like, so you talking about how nobody knows quite how Robert Johnson died. That does become intriguing. Mm-hmm. You know, did did somebody have a reason to take this guy out? Was it just wholly accidental? What happened? Oh, we don't know. We know that Jim Morrison OD'd in the bathtub. We know that Jimi Hendrix, uh, uh, you know, we know Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. Jimi Hendrix choked on his own vomit. Right, um, right. Because he had taken a bunch of barbiturates and threw up in his sleep. Uh, Janis Joplin, I think, died of alcohol poisoning. That sounds right. I, I want to say. I mean, granted, she was drinking a bottle of wild turkey at a night. Um, oh no, heroin overdose apparently. Oh, well, that also sounds right. Yes. The point. The point being, in in ten seconds, you could look up how Janis Joplin died, and and people know. Mm-hmm. You know, we know Kurt Cobain killed himself. We know Amy Winehouse OD'd. We know how everyone else died, so it's not like there's necessarily a mystery there. And without the mystery, it loses the mystique. Yeah. Unless you try to then sit there and say, no, 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 there is such a mystery. But but then you have to like you have to get into in, into what? Like metaphysical curses or like Well and and you know, okay, so I can I can straight up just like push forward to another thing I was going to talk about with that because I, okay. I, I feel weirdly connected to Amy Winehouse. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like Amy Winehouse was born, like Amy Winehouse and I had the same birthday. We were both born on September the 14th. Granted, she was born um, several years before me, but like, I, and I and I've loved Amy Winehouse ever since I first heard Back in Black. Like she's just an artist who's always meant a lot to me. And I, rem- I I will still read old interviews with Amy Winehouse. And like there's there's a there's several interviews with her from back in the day where she talked about being afraid of joining the Twenty Seven Club. Hmm. She was literally aware, as she was struggling with depression, with multiple kinds of addiction issues, with domestic issues, with old, old childhood trauma and just all this stuff. As she was very publicly wrestling with, let's be fair, celebrity culture, paparazzi situations, the fact that she couldn't like 
maintain her fucking marriage. Um, you know, she's talking about like, I'm really afraid that I'm going to end up joining the 27 club. And I hear that. And it's got echoes of like Ernest Hemingway talking about how right after his father killed himself, he just kind of shrugged and said, I'll probably go the same way. Like there is, we want to talk about, you want to talk about the mystique of this. It was so prevalent that Amy Winehouse literally was talking about it in interviews for years as a fear that she had, as something that she was convinced was a very real possibility. And that it's exactly what the fuck happened. Sure. You, you know what just struck me? I think the reason this is a thing is it, it has a lot to do with just how influential the artists were. And that goes hand in hand with the fact that, by and large, their careers were so short because they all died before they reached 28. Sure. You know, the the candles burned brighter and not as long. And, I mean, because you, you can't sit here and be like, well, which are, which are the bad Hendrix albums? Or, you know, we, we didn't get... Kurt Cobain's weird experimental blues album as he's reaching 40. We don't have Jimi Hendrix uh, at, at 50 sampling on Run DMC. We don't have the highs and lows of these artists' careers. Sure. We only have the highs, and we remember the highs, and that's why everyone says, oh, tragically too soon. Yeah. No, I, I'm actually very with that. Um, there's two things that you just made me think of. One was you say this point about candles burning. Um, I remember reading everything about the Kurt Cobain suicide. And, you know, he referenced in his suicide note, the Neil Young line. Um, it is, I think it's, it is better to um, blow out than fade away. Burn out than fade away. Yeah, which, which is a Neil Young line. I remember that. I remember that so well. And that struck me so deeply. I learned literally earlier this year, learning that that was in Cobain's suicide note fucked with Neil Young and has to this day. Hmm. Neil Young is haunted by that thought. Cause for him, that was a line that he wrote. Granted, it was a line that he meant, you know, it was, it was a line about youth and about, you know, trying and about passion. And, you know, he, he wrote it sincerely, but the idea that it was taken by someone who was a friend of his, Neil Young, Neil Young was literally at the time that Cobain was going through the worst of his heroin addiction Neil Young was trying to reach out to him along with Michael Stipe and a bunch of his other friends in the music industry to give him a project to work on something with him to try and help him sure and to try and kind of mentor him through the struggles of stardom because at that point Neil Young had been in the game for almost like 25 years I think so he was trying to help him and the idea that his lyric which he wasn't thinking about being interpreted that way got him like ended up in Cobain's suicide note he's still haunted by that so that's one thing that makes me think of the other thing is when we talk about that sense of influence and and yeah things being cut off when they were you know people still talk about Jimi Hendrix being 
the best guitarist who ever lived. Right. Um, you know, we could talk about Kurt Cobain being this voice of a generation. You know, Nirvana. If you count the if you count the acoustic unplugged, Nirvana had five albums. Right. Three of which anyone gave a shit about because nobody cared about Incesticide when it came out, and nobody cared about Bleach when it came out. So you've got three albums, really two studio albums of Nirvana material and people want to call Kurt Cobain the voice of an entire generation. I don't think that happens now. I, I think you're right because Chris Novoselic has killed a lot of goodwill recently. Um, and, you know, Dave Grohl went on to do something totally different. But is Dave Grohl the cornerstone of culture right now? He's great. He releases good music. He's great when he appears in movies or TV occasionally. Sure, sure. I like him a lot. Is he a cornerstone of culture? I, you know, I put Jay-Z at the top of my goat list for best rapper for a long time. And then he had several years where he kind of fell off. The last, like, until 444 came out, Jay-Z hadn't had a good album, like a really good album, since maybe the Black Album? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, what, a 15-year run of shit? Yeah, pretty much. Like, half his career is not that good. And so he's not at the top of my goat list that often anymore. Like, he really isn't. But but for a long time, I was arguing Jay-Z is the greatest rapper of all time. If he dies after the Black Album, I, I think that was 2005 maybe 2006 maybe maybe jay-z has the best run you know right and 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 i'm i'm trying to follow a thread in my brain here um but to your point so, so tell you what you, you you touch on this uh at another point in your notes and i i don't want to say it for you honey please <laughs> so what about the artists who made it to old age like that's that's really where the argument gets it's so weird for me. How, you're not going to sit here and say that like like Freddie Mercury isn't as influential as Kurt Cobain or Jimi Hendrix. And Freddie Mercury didn't even make it to old age. He just was older than 27 when he died. Yeah. To accurately hit my point, let's look at David Bowie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't even have to be that. Let's look at Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. Who, who died the same year as David Bowie. Who died the same year as David Bowie at the age of 82. And I think was, you know, hugely talented and popular. But for, you know, 85% of the population is always going to be known as the Hallelujah guy. But he's the Hallelujah, he's the hallelujah guy. Sure. His one song, I mean, maybe this speaks of me, but I can't name a Janis Joplin song. I love Janis Joplin. I understand her to be a like, you know, great singer, amazing personality, prolific in what she did when she did it. But I gun to my head, I wouldn't be able to tell you, I wouldn't be able to name you one Janis Joplin song. Sure. And, you know, after this recording, I'm going to send you a link to Ball and Chain <laughs> because Janis Joplin is was incredible. But sure. But no, you know what? I get that. I do. You, literally, you said three of the four who died in that like initial run, that two year run. And one of them was Brian Jones, 
who was who was the sitar player for the one Rolling Stones song that you actually give a shit about, which was Paint It Black. Sure. <laughs> um, I actually think Brian Jones is the least interesting guitar player the Rolling Stones ever had, but I understand why he's important to a lot of people. I do. But you know what? That's fair. You know, you love Anton Yelchin. I basically know him as, you know, the guy in the rebooted Star Trek and in that meh Nazi movie that you really like. And yeah, yeah, that's fair. No, I, I will always know Anton Yelchin for Green Room. Thank you. Yes. The <laughs> meh Nazi movie that you like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I... There is something to the idea that, yes, a big reason why this thing carries so much mystique is because so many of the artists who are on it mean something to us. Like, there, you know, I've got a list of 27 club artists on here um, pulled up, and I don't know who a big chunk of these people, I don't know who Wallace Wally Yawn is. But apparently he died in a plane crash in 1974 and he was the organ player of a band called Chase. Um, I mean, I know who Dave Alexander is. He was the bassist for the Stooges. Um, he apparently is part of the 27 Club. That is a thing I did not know. Mm. I like the Stooges. Dave Alexander is not the most important member of the Stooges to me. I'm sorry. Um, My big takeaway is like the 27 Club is an interesting thing in that it it is a list that you can qualify a bunch of different artists on and really it's you know it's the one thing that they have in common and yeah. you can gauge them all by that metric but but to your point like if you if you're going to just lump every musician actor performer who died at the age of 27 throw them in the 27 club the variations in quality you're going to have are and, and, okay, so I looked this up specifically, but something that I've heard a lot of times is people wonder if Tupac is in the 27 Club. Mm. He is not. He died at 25. That said, when I was researching this, I thought, let's do this for fun. And I just typed, is Tupac in? And the fourth Google, res Google result was 27 Club. Keeping in mind, the only thing that, like, Tupac's death was a tragedy. Tupac is... I'm never mad when people put Tupac on a GOAT list. Sure. I'm never mad. I don't agree. But I'm never mad at it. And I can always point to Tupac Shakur, who, you know, was a problematic individual in his own right. I will always admit that. But I will always be able to admit that Tupac was... is one of the seminal, most important figures in all of hip-hop history. And people want to put him into the 27 Club. Because he died kind of close to it. And granted, I don't see him appearing on like 27 club lists. But it's close enough thing that it's the fourth Google res Google result. And why? Because it carries that stupid fucking mystique. And it... We want order. We always want fucking order. We want a storyline. And we want a storyline. We want things to make sense. And here's the thing. We don't want a real explanation. We want the idea that there's a mystery and that there's some kind of connection here. We don't want the actuality of it, which is probably all of these people got famous when they were, you know, roughly 
19 to 21 and then spent years just destroying their bodies because they dealt with the individual pains that they were dealing with. In some cases, maybe they also had mental health issues or just a propensity for addiction struggles. Maybe they had shit in their background that they couldn't deal with. Mm -hmm. And by coincidence, you know, their clock ran out at 27, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the wrong thing. People are, people are talking about the gone too soon club, but that doesn't have the same catchphrase. And so, I, I mean, I agree. It's just, it's, it's weird to try and say that there's any connecting metric to these people other than the age they happen to be when they died. Um, and, and so my final thing is like, I just, just for the heck of it, because I was trying to think off the top of my head, I, I looked up who the top 25 performing artists under 25 are. And I'm, I'm going through this list trying to figure out. So it's like, it's names like Demi Lovato and Halsey and Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Shawn Mendes. Halsey's 26. Ariana Grande is 27. Not to be morbid, but if Ariana Grande died before her next birthday, can you imagine the circus that would transpire over Ariana Grande joins the 27 club? Or, to keep this morbid thought experiment going, if Halsey died before she reached 27, would it be the same thing um, of it being people saying, well, does she make the cut like we think Tupac should based off musical merit alone? And here's the point that I'm going to make to you. When Amy Winehouse died, the estates of Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain all saw a spike. Mm. I, I, I'm Alex, always going to bring it Alex, back to are, you, are you bringing this back to old white money? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Listen, I need those white people to let go of Jimi Hendrix's estate already. Um, but to that credit, the, the Hendrix estate is worth $175 million. Kurt Cobain's estate is worth $450 million. When Amy Winehouse died... 27 club members their estates their sales went up because the conversation about the 27 club put everything back into everyone's purview i'm not saying this to suggest that there is some conspiracy and that like something is happening to try and get people to care more about the 27 club i'm gonna tell you up front um you know i talked about disgraceland on a previous podcast disgraceland is a wonderful podcast about it's a it's a Music True Crime Podcast. The creator of Disgraceland came out with a limited series podcast called The 27 Club. Mm, that's where, right. Where he does these, I think there are eight or ten episode seasons. One's about Jimi Hendrix. One's about Jim Morrison. One's about Janis Joplin. I've listened to like half the Jimi Hendrix one before COVID started and I fell off a lot of my podcasts. It was great quality. It's wonderful stories. I love these artists and I'm going to listen to these because I'm really interested in them. Um, and I'm not mad at the Disgraceland guy for, you know, making this product because I, I've listened to his stuff a lot. I think he has a genuine love for these artists. I think he has a genuine interest in this. I'm not mad at him. But it is really fucking gross that the 27 club, like I've seen t-shirts. Yeah, sure. That say the 27 club and they're pictures of those five people that you named at the beginning of this episode on it. Right. That is fucked up. 
That is disgusting. That is awful. That suggests that there's something, by comparison's sake, it suggests that there's something, I don't know, compelling about the fact that these people share ages. I can, you know, if if Wikipedia would make the damn list, I could make, I could come up with a list of 25 artists who died at 25. Tupac would be on it. I don't know how many other people are on it because, frankly, even I'm not enough of a nerd to memorize all of that. But is 27 any more mystical than that? Like, honestly? Or 32? Or, fuck, died in 2016. We have Leonard Cohen, David Bowie, and Prince who all died in 2016. So should I have a t- If I had a t-shirt that had the three of them on it that said 2016 on it, if you made it, it would be bought, which, I mean, proves your point. And, and I don't know. That grosses me out. That disturbs me. And I hate the 27 Club. I hate, just like I said with Tortured Artists, I hate anything that romanticizes death and addiction and tragedy like this and suggest that there's something magical about these artists because of the way that they died. No, there's nothing magical about the way that they died. It's tragic the way that they died. The magic was in the artistry they had and the stuff that they put into the world and that they left us with. If you focus on the death, I can't tell you how many people I have met who know that Tupac was shot, but they can't name me five Tupac albums. Sure. Can you name me five Tupac albums? <laughs> I'm not even going to try. But you knew he was shot before I said his name even once. Yeah. Yeah. That proves your point, man. So I, and, and that's not me saying like, oh, you're not real fans. It's not. It's just a point of we're focusing on the wrong thing. And I hate the 27 club for that reason. When people bring up the 27 club, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not trying to kill your fun, but I think that's gross. And you know what? I think you're completely valid in that, man. I, I've I've never thought about it in this way before this conversation. It was always just like it, 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 it was a cracked list in my head. Sure. You know, here are the people that happened to have died at the age of 27 and were also like popular music artists. I never considered it in the terms of the mystique and the romanticism. And having thought about that, yeah, it's... It's totally gross. Yeah. Speaking of gross. Oh, no. You can't leave me that low-hanging fruit. <laughs> even though I left it for myself. Uh, um, okay, we have a question. <laughs> we have a question coming to us from uh, relationships.txt. And I saw this and instantly sent it to you on Twitter and was like, uh, holy shit, we have to do this. All right. Am I reading this or are you? Um, I will go ahead and read this. So when I was younger, I was only able to masturbate when I was going to poop because of privacy reasons in my home. So sooner or later, I would jerk off and then go on with my poop. That slowly evolved into doing both at the same time. Now, I didn't see anything wrong with this until I moved out of my old family home. When I finally moved out, I decided to masturbate on my bed and, well, throughout the motions of finishing, I accidentally made a mess on my bed. I wasn't able to hold my bowels in. So I decided to continue masturbating on my toilet so that wouldn't happen again. I didn't see anything wrong with continuing this masturbation plan until I got into a relationship. Now, I won't describe the whole relationship phase, but I'll just say that we had sex, and it was an event. I went over to her house, 
and stupidly forgot about my predicament. So I'm standing off of the bed and having sex, and right as I was about to come, I felt my bowels churn and dropped a big fat log onto her floor. It was right in the middle of the floor in her bedroom. She asked me what fell, but I was too embarrassed to say anything. I really didn't know what to do, and it smelled so bad. So I put my clothes on real fast and ran out of her house. How do I salvage this relationship and explain everything to her? She's been texting me nonstop, and I just don't know how to answer. Help me, please. I did something I don't usually do, and I I read the comments on this, and and by and large, people are saying that there's no way this happened, and and I I th- this is a very gross, very implausible predicament. But let's assume, Alex, let, let's assume this is somebody with a real problem. The first thing they absolutely need a nickname to protect their anonymity in this case. Uh, this feels like a South Park problem, but I couldn't tell you, like, who this would happen to. Hmm. Cartman feels easy. No, I, I don't want it to be any of the kids. That's fair. Uh, oh. Well, if it's not the kids, then it's Randy. This is something Randy Marsh would do. Didn't we already use Randy Marsh? <laughs> Probably. I know we used Stan at one point. You know, I think I think that's it. I think we use Stan. Or is it Herbert Garrison? It's Mr. Garrison. It is absolutely Mr. Garrison. Okay. Eric, did you just take a crap on my desk? What's up? What's up? Crapped on your desk, Doug. What's up with that? Okay. All right, Mr. Garrison. Mr. Garrison, Alex, I'm going to let you talk in a second, but just to recap for everybody here, Mr. Garrison Pavloved himself into voiding his bowels when he ejaculates. That is what is happening here. Okay. So, to begin with, Mr. Garrison... You need therapy. And you don't need just like gen- general therapy the way that I have generally, rec- generally speaking, recommended therapy to most people. You need sex therapy. Like, I understand that there is a question as to whether or not this is real. I myself question whether or not it is real. I don't, however, believe that there is no way for this to be real. Sure. Because, quite frankly, I have read enough books by enough sex therapists... To know there is way weirder shit than this that has occurred, that does occur, that they see every damn day of their work lives. So I will entertain the possibility, Mr. Garrison, but you need to go see a sex therapist. And it's important enough that, like, I don't know what your economic situation is, but I really, really think you need to, like make whatever allowances you need in order to invest the money into an actual sex therapist. If you need to like use our use a better help subscription to get started and then parlay that over, okay, great, but you need therapy because this is your approach to this has generally speaking been I have a problem. What is the immediate solution to the problem? Okay, I found an immediate solution to the problem. I will do that now, long term, with no further thought to it. And that has not worked out well for you, Mr. Garrison. It really hasn't. You know, this this started as a 
oh my god, this is such a like this is one of the most um colorful relationship questions I think I think we've gotten. And the more I think about it, the more like I actually assuming Mr. Garrison has this actual problem, I'm going to go ahead and do that. I feel really bad for Mr. Garrison and I feel really bad for Mr. Garrison's partner because I'm going to speak to your exact question. How do you salvage this? I don't know if you can, the immediate pro the immediate solution you took was to run out of your partner's house, having defecated on their floor in the act of sex. So if nothing else, you have scarred this poor woman. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's impossible to salvage the relationship, but I don't think salvaging the relationship should be the thing that you're expecting to happen from sure. any advice you receive. I'm I'm going to be pretty frank. I I don't know many people if it, there if people were to come to me and tell me that the first time that they slept with someone that they had started dating, like the very first time they have Okay. I'm going to tell this story and I'm not going to feel bad about it because one of the people involved with it is dead. Um, a friend of mine who is now dead um, once told me the story about going out on a date with somebody that I knew who wasn't a friend of mine, but I didn't know them just from like friend of friend situations. He went on a date with a girl and they decided that and, and they started messing around at the end of the day and he was fingering her in in the in his car like he was driving she was in the car he was fingering her and she pissed herself now female ejaculation is a thing it's a valid thing fine thing you know there's wonderful it, this was not that this was literally she pissed herself and had made no acknowledgement of it after it was done. You know, she said good night and left the car. And the next day they saw each other and she was like, I had a really good time last night. And he was like, you peed in my car. <laughs> and she's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, that's what, that didn't happen. And he's like, no, you, you pissed in my car. Like we were messing around and you pissed in my car and she just never acknowledged it. And she started getting offended at him for like accusing her of doing that. And ultimately they'd never went out again. And that was just the end of that. Um, so don't do that. First of all, don't, don't just blatantly bold face pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Don't do that. And like, I think what you ultimately need to do, you need to acknowledge it. Um, if you want to, the right thing to do here is to reach back out to your partner, say, listen, this is the situation. I know this is weird. I know this is strange. I would like to salvage this relationship. I'm interested in getting some therapy for this. Um, that said, I get it if you want to walk away from this. When my friend told me about this, this, this woman pissing in his seat and he was like and, and i asked him like are you guys gonna like see each other anymore and he's like i want to get an explanation but no like regardless of what happens after we interact no um 
like she that might be her response and that is a valid response because that is a like troubling experience that she will probably need to you know talk about for the rest of her life or deal with for the rest of her life because holy shit that's dramatic go ahead therapy therapy ownership like you owe an apology you probably owe like paying her back for a security deposit um and some cleaning services and just accept that whatever will come of it like she will you know she will have her own decisions to make and that will be valid you need to get help dude yeah and and i don't know honestly if this would be involved with the sex therapy but the other thing like the the thing that you could do for yourself i very intentionally chose my words you have pavloved yourself to do to do the thing when the other thing happens and like again assuming that giving the benefit that this is a possible thing um you need to do some sort of resistance training with your body basically like you need to make sure that you can be with another person or even you know just enjoy your body yourself without having to worry about making a mess and you know defecating all over the place and shitting yourself um you could try this this is just a little bit of self self something or other you could try masturbating after you have already voided your bowels i was gonna say that or or if you had to like see what happens on a completely empty stomach you know try it first thing in the morning after or not try it after a day when like you haven't really eaten yeah also you straight up do not have control of your bowels like that is that is just you have you do not have that control so you may want to also speak with you know your medical a medical professional and just be like listen I don't know if this is psychological or physical, but I cannot control my bowels in this particular context. And I know I need therapy. Two assholes on the internet told me that I need therapy. (laughs) But I also am wondering if maybe there's a physical problem going on. And see about a medical opinion. You need professional help. To start with for your own pavloving yourself out, yeah, start with giving yourself examples of cases where that is not the immediate response, where that is not the thing that happens. And for the love of God, never again have a short-term answer to a problem and say, well, I'll just do this for the rest of my life. Because that's what brought you here, homie. Mr. Garrison, no. Mr. Garrison, no. This... This, this is a very Garrisonian uh, problem to have. Um, certainly, whether it's with uh, the person you've been in a relationship with or your next relationship, if it's short term, I get the therapy. And if the problem takes a while to rectify, which I'm, I have a feeling it will be, you might have to bite a bullet and, and be honest and open with people. You might have to forego getting in a situation where you might make a mess in a romantic partner's apartment again until you have an issue. Um, try to practice that self-control and absolutely, you, you need to see a couple of licensed professionals about this. 
And we're with that, rooting for you. we're we're totally rooting for you, Mr. Garrison. Uh, that th- this is something that nobody walks away happy from, yourself included. Yeah. If you have a relationship question, um, chances are it's not as uh, explicit or graphic as that one. But if it is, we will try to give it the same level of care. You can send your relationship questions, no matter what they're about. If they're about coworkers, if they're about pets, if they're about romantic partners, if they are about medical mishaps that involve other people, you can send those into love, hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey, Mom. Um, sorry if this episode is less appealing to you than the James Bond one was. You've been very kind to us about you've, that one. You've been very, very kind, and thank you so much. And my <laughs> deepest apologies for what you just listened to. Oh, God, I love you. I'll, I'll probably call you after this <laughs> drops. Um, anyway, uh, you can... You can... You can follow us on Twitter <laughs> LHR Pod. That's L H R P O D uh, with your questions, or you can follow us there to keep up with new episodes. You can follow me, Andy Bowell, at JovoCop2113 on Twitter, or you can also follow my other podcast where we honestly rarely talk about uh, people pooping themselves, Cult Fiction. It is a cult movie show that I do with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson. And again, um, at least until this point, has very little pooping in it. Very little. Very little pooping. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. Thank you for listening all. We love you so much. Uh, happy 2021. And as always and ever, tell your audience.